When I was in ninth or tenth grade or so, this is the ninth grade. How many ninth or tenth graders I got down here? Let me see your hands. Okay. When I was about your age, I was in a time in my life, I was a Christian. I've made a decision to follow Christ, but I was in a time in my life that I was not walking with the Lord as I wanted to. And I knew it in my heart that I was not pursuing the Lord like I wanted to. And I think people that were watching me could probably tell that everything was not okay inside of me. And I'll never forget one day when a friend of mine came up to me and this friend said to me, I can tell that you're, that you're not okay. And I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And that one conversation of a caring friend was one of the things that God used in my life to bring me to a place where I was willing to say, Lord, I need you to forgive me and I want to start walking with you like you want me to. And I am so thankful for that one friend that said something like that to me. And I'm struck, I'm struck by the fact that through our entire lives, there seems to be this trail of one person along the way, one friend doing one thing, and that one thing made a difference. And I think the thing that it reminds me of is stories that need to be told. Stories that should not be untold, where something remarkable happens and it changes your life and all the little things that came together for that to happen and how God was an orchestrator of those things because, because God wants us to be His friends. Like he's orchestrating so many things in our lives so that we have one story after another that should not remain untold that really talk about God's desire to draw us in to friendship with him. This morning we're going to talk about the third judge, Deborah. It's a story that should not remain untold. That's why it's in the Bible, so that we get to tell it to each other. And I, I want to help you this morning as I walk through the story to think about it in terms of like you would think about watching a movie or watching a play, that you would think about it in terms of seeing different scenes. Like we, we get to view a scene unfolding, and that scene is carrying a story whose message is about God, a message that God Himself wanted told so that you and I would understand something about Him that would change us forever. Now the setup of the story is in Judges chapter 4, the verse, first three verses. So I want to read Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 to you. And I'd love for you to read along with me if you've got your Bible. And that will bridge us into scene 1. Okay, so let's read verses 1 through 3. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for, for Jabin had 900 chariots, and 
he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. There's the setting of our story. And now the story will begin to unfold in scene one. Scene one is Deborah sitting by a tree that everybody in the land called the tree of Deborah. Deborah was a prophetess. She spoke on behalf of God to the people of God, Israel. She was a judge. She provided guidance for the people. And the nation of Israel would come out to this tree where she would sit every day and she would share things. They needed to know about what God was saying, about what God wanted. And the people are being oppressed for 20 years by their enemy. And you got to know that by year 18 or 19, they're coming to the tree asking Deborah, when is deliverance going to come? When are you going to say what God is saying? And what God is saying is, I'm coming to set you free. The people were crying out, and certainly they were crying out to Deborah. And then the day came. And Deborah, sitting by that tree, said, I want you to go and get Barak. Can you imagine being Barak in that moment? People roll in there and said, uh, Deborah is hanging out the tree of Deborah and she wants you to come see her. What? What did I do wrong? What's the problem? I mean, can you imagine the suspense in his life as he makes the trip all the way to the tree of Deborah? He gets there and this is what Deborah says to Barak. Verse 6, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded Go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon. And I will give him into your hand. Now think about that. Barak shows up. The people have been oppressed for 20 years. And Deborah, who speaks on behalf of God, the whole nation's coming to her, crying out to God. And she has a moment of talking about the deliverance of God. And she says to Barak, God's commanding you to go and face this army of 900 chariots and a myriad of, of troops. And here's what you get. A few men from two of the 12 tribes. And you're to go and you're to face this enemy that is beyond anything you've ever faced. Equipped with weaponry that we don't have. You're to go and face this enemy. God has commanded you to go. And this is what God has promised you. He has promised to hand Sisera over to you. Incredible command. An even more incredible promise. This is how Barak responds. Verse 8. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, Deborah, then I will go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. That's an interesting response. Barak says, I'll obey God if you go. But if you don't go, I'm not obeying God. That's the wrong answer. Barak should have in that moment put two and two together. If God commanded me to go, and he gave me a promise that Cicero's going to be handed over to me, and I think I need Deborah, I bet God's already got that worked out. 
And if I don't need Deborah there, I bet God will be sufficient. If God commanded me and he gave the promise, then he intends to fulfill the promise. And for some reason, I'm his choice. I better just trust him. That had been the right answer. But that's not what Barak did. He said, no, if, if you don't go, I'm not obeying God. Well, God in his graciousness, as a response for Barak, that is gracious. But I want you to notice what happens. This is the response. Verse 9. Deborah says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. So God tells Barak, I'm still going to get victory for the people. But the honor that was yours, if you'd obeyed me, I'm going to give to someone else. And all of a sudden, this scene ends with intrigue. Who is going to receive the honor? How is this going to happen? What's going to go on here? The first inclination is maybe Deborah is going to receive the honor. She's the judge been sitting at the tree telling all the people how to follow God. She's the one that God has used to speak the command of God. Maybe Deborah's going to be it. What's going to happen here? And then we leave scene one with this, this interest in what's going to happen in scene two. And scene two opens up the strangest way. Look at verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab and the father-in-law of Moses, and he pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. What in the world is that about? Who is Heber and who cares? Why is this in the story? I mean, that's scene Two opens with something that's totally unrelated, we think, to the story. We're expecting to enter the battle, and instead we show up at this guy's house that is totally unconnected to anything happening in the story. And then we immediately go right back to the scene that we're interested in, the battle. Weird. Again, creating intrigue. What's going on with this story? That's the weirdest thing. And then verse 12, we see Sisera being told that Barak has his army and his troops together on Mount Tabor. And Sisera has his chariots and all his men at the river Kishon. And so the, the scene is, if you were watching a movie right now, we'd see this big mountain and this small little group of 10,000 people gathered there with inadequate weapons, ready to fight a battle with a massive army and 900 chariots along this river that are ready to charge against them. I mean, this is like a scene out of the Lord of the Rings, right? Where you get this huge army with all this massive weaponry going against this much smaller group that is greatly outnumbered, that has no chance to win, and they're fixing to collide in battle, and the tension is rising, and the, bum, the drums are beating, and the, you know people are scared and going crazy. I mean, it's that scene. Have you seen Lord of the Rings? Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? And then Deborah stands up in front of Barak and the troops, and she gives a speech. I can see in the heart of you the fear. Are you with me? It takes the heart of me. A day may come. Have you read this before? A day may come when are y'all following this at all? 
A day may come when we lose our nation, when we crumble in our friendships, when the fellowship is broken, but it is not this day. I would like you to consider everything you hold dear on this earth and fight. Arise. The Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Arise. The Lord has gone before you. I mean, that's, that's what happens. Look at verse 14 here. Deborah said to Barak, I mean, I've embellished it a little bit, but Deborah said <laughs> to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak and all the army, they go out, and sure enough, God makes good on his promise. And they wipe out the army of Sisera. And Sisera recognizes what's happening. Because verse 15, look, the Lord routs Sisera in all his chariots. That is a pivotal scene where you see the victory of the army that should not be winning and you know there is no way that army could defeat this army except that God is routing Sisera. Sisera jumps off his chariot. He sees what's happening. He runs away trying to escape what's inevitable. And that's how the scene ends. Sisera running off into the distance. Then the next scene comes. We see Sisera worn out, wiped out from battle, so tired from running away and trying to escape. And he runs up to this house, this tent, where he knows he'll find a friend because this tent happens to belong to, get it? Verse 17. Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Because there was peace between Heber and Jabin, and Sisera knew if he could make it to that tent, the Jael would hide him, that he could find refuge there. So he runs to the tent, and sure enough, Jael comes out and says, Come into my tent. Look here at verse Verse 18, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and he, she covered him with the rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. And so she opened a bottle of milk and gave him to drink, and then she covered him. And he said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent. And it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you that, and says, is there anyone here that you shall say No. And he, Jael does everything he asks except that last request. She does not go to the tent door and stand there to tell anybody who comes that he's not there. No, she waits until he's completely passed out from his exhaustion, and then she kills him. Now, I've given you the unedited version, but let's just say that Sisera is dead as a tent peg. He's gone. All right? So what's really cool about the story is after she kills him, she walks out of the tent, and guess who comes up? Barak comes up looking for Sisera, and she says, Come and let me show you the man you are seeking. And she brings Barak into the tent, and he sees his enemy lying dead at jail's feet. The rest of the story is they get victory over these enemies and they are free from their oppressors. 
It's an amazing story to consider that God made good on his promise of deliverance and God made good with Barak by saying, you're not going to get the honor that was supposed to be yours, but I'm going to give it to somebody you would never think could get it. Somebody who's not even an Israelite. Somebody who's not a warrior. Somebody who's actually an ally of the enemy. I mean, think about the craziness of that scenario. And yet God comes through with exactly what he says. And the people are delivered. Now, scene four opens up with Deborah and Barak singing a song of celebration, a song of victory. And we get these words of the song written thousands of years ago. This is a song that they sang. We don't know how they sang it. We don't know what the musical accompaniment was. But they sang this song. And you can read it for yourself. But let me give you a summary of this song. It starts out by talking about we're going to praise God. We're going to bless God because the leaders actually led. Isn't that cool? When leaders actually lead. And the people served. Because the leaders led and the people served, let's praise the Lord. Because there was a day in Israel that was terrible, an awful day. A day full of idolatry and brokenness and rebellion. A day that had a turnaround when God brought me, Deborah, she's singing this, as a mother to Israel. And my heart broke with a mother's heart for the brokenness of this people. But no longer should our hearts be broken. We should all rejoice and praise God because a few of our people came and were willing to give their lives. And through their gifts of their lives in service, God brought a victory and we are free. Blessed among all women is Jael, who single-handedly killed our enemy, Sisera. And then there's this little part of the song that I think if you're an Israelite, you, you might really like this part. It talks about Sisera's mama at home. Sisera's mama is looking for Sisera to come home and bring her some of the stuff from the battle. But Sisera's not coming home. And then you see the last line of the song, verse 31 of chapter 5. It says, Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love God, those who are friends with God, rise like the sun in its might. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years. So I just want to take an aside just for a second. And when I was reading this passage and studying this passage, I was like, it dawned on me. Here we have a song from thousands of years ago. And we get to read about what they would sing when they're worshiping God. This is one of their worship songs. Pretty interesting to think about. What would that be like today if we sang Judges chapter 5? It'd be a little bit strange, I think. A new person would come in and go, wow. I don't want to mess with jail, whoever she is. But what if this song had been written a hundred years ago? I wonder what it would sound like. Maybe it would sound something like this. To thee be praise, most high Lord, the leaders and the people in one accord. Not thus in days gone by until the deliverer drawn nigh. The company shall praise thee for thou delivereth from slavery. Thine enemies suffereth while thine friends like the sun riseth. 
To thee be praised, most high Lord, the leaders and the people in one accord. Right? That, that kind of be what it sounded like. It was written a hundred or so years ago, right? Y'all sang songs like that before? What if it was written today? It might sound something like this. We were messed up, so messed up, so messed up. We were messed up, yes, messed up. But God fixed everything. Yes, He fixed it all in the most amazing way. In the most amazing way, through Jesus Christ, He fixed everything. We want to live as your friends, O Lord, to be your friends. Be your friends forever. We want to live as your friends. I mean, we could sing that. It'd probably be pretty good. Here's what I want you to notice. The words are different. The music would have been very different. but the worship would have been the same. Because in all three instances, no matter when the words were written, no matter what the songs sounded like, the heart of the message was God is a deliverer and we want to worship Him because He delivered me. Right? So, so we're at a crossroads in our church as a church family where God is going to bring us a new worship pastor. And I want you to know what we're after, what we've been asking the Lord to bring through a new worship pastor. We're asking that the Lord would just simply enable us to be about worship. That we could simply worship Him together because He is our deliverer. And your search committee believes that God has led us to the one that he wants to use to help us continue to, to, to head in that direction. And the search committee has offered him to come in view of a call, and our candidate has accepted that offer to come in view of a call. And you're going to hear about the details of that in the weeks to come, but I just want you to be excited that God wants us to be a people who keeps moving in the direction of worshiping him because he set us free. And though the words may not be what we thought they'd be, this music may not be what we thought it would be, that the bottom line is God's still the same and His deliverance is still the same and we always will have a reason to praise Him. Amen? It's exciting times. All right, the story. What I want you to get from the story is this. God always keeps His promises. When people cry out to God, God promises to deliver and He kept His promise. He always keeps His promise to deliver. And if you want to experience the fulfillment of His promises in the best possible way, fully trusting the Lord is the way to experience the fulfillment of His promises. You see, the friends of God always make out better than the enemies of God. Always. You think about this story of deliverance and you think about our lives the reality is that every single one of us have been under the oppression of our own sin and our own brokenness and the efforts of our enemy, Satan, to keep us in our sin. But the Bible has told us, God has spoken to us in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever cries out for Jesus Christ, that person will be saved. See, Jesus has given us a promise. 
If you cry out for me, I will save you. God has promised us deliverance if we cry out for Jesus Christ. And the way that God is able to offer us deliverance is because Jesus Christ is our victor. He came and He conquered death and sin. He conquered our enemy Satan on the cross when He died and rose again from the dead. And by virtue of what Jesus Christ did in conquering sin and death, God has now offered us the opportunity to cry out to Him in our oppression and find deliverance according to His promise. Anyone who calls out on the name of Jesus will be saved set free from their sin and forgiven of all their sin and made friends with God. God takes us who were formerly enemies. When we cry out to God through faith in Jesus Christ, He makes us who were enemies His friends. And I want you to see this morning what it means to be a friend of God. Because the friends of God are like the rising sun in its might. There's something different about people who walk in friendship with God. And here's what you've got to get straight. The commands of the Scripture that are conditional are not to be confused with God's offer of deliverance. See, the Old Testament has commands like this. If you obey me, you will live. If you disobey me, you will die. I think that's pretty clear. The Old Testament is full of those kinds of commands. All right? The New Testament actually has commands just like that. Jesus says, if you forgive others, I will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, you will not be forgiven. I mean, strong conditional commands are scattered throughout the entire Bible. And if you read them outside of God's offer of deliverance in Christ, then here's what you're going to conclude. If I don't obey God enough, I will not be saved from my sin. I have to obey Him because if I don't obey Him, I'm going to lose out on the fulfillment of His promises because many of the commands in Scripture are conditional so that you don't experience the promise unless you meet the condition. Well, your salvation, listen to this, is conditional. Praise God, we don't have to fill the condition. Are you hearing me? You can't be saved on the basis of your obedience because you have not obeyed just like Barak, neither have I. So none of us can sit, stand here and say, yes, I've obeyed, I should be saved. No, none of us can do that. All of us are command breakers. But Jesus Christ obeyed every command of God perfectly and immediately. And so we can be saved on the basis of Jesus Christ's obedience. His obedience replaces my disobedience so that I experience the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation, not because I deserve it or I obeyed, but because Jesus obeyed. You see how he flips it over? For Jesus Christ to experience the blessing of the promises of God in fulfilling the commands of God, Jesus had to fulfill every command. Because he fulfilled every command perfectly and immediately, he has claimed to all the promises of God and all the accompanying honor to having all the promises of God. Well, we can't do that. 
So what Jesus does, he says, I'm going to give you all the promises of God because they belong to me. I'm going to grant you the honor that is only mine, and I'm going to give it to you because I earned it. And as a result of you receiving what you could not earn, I'm going to transform your life through friendship with me. Is that not a beautiful picture? There's not a single person in this room that has to obey God to be saved. Because Jesus Christ obeyed God for you. But Jesus Christ had invited you through faith in Him into friendship with God so that you might enjoy the honor that is only due Jesus Christ. And you enjoy that honor by trusting fully in your Savior. So that you live every day saying, what you say is what I want. What you want is what I want. I'm going to follow you, not because I believe I have to follow you to get what you can give, but because you've already given me all that I can receive on the basis of Christ. And I want to enjoy that friendship by walking closely with you. That is the invitation that comes with friendship with God. And we should not be like Barak and forfeit one moment of honor that belongs to us through faith in Christ by not obeying the Lord. But we should never confuse that our obedience to the Lord has anything to do with God's salvation of our lives. We should believe and understand that our obedience to the Lord has to do with experiencing the benefit of being God's friends. And we do not want to miss the honor of Christ. So what do we do today? I think we respond unlike Barak did and recognize that in the face of every single command that we're given, like love people, every single person, whether they love you well, whether they hate you well, you are to love people. That is a command given to you. But it is a command that you are to fulfill based on the fact that God's already completed His promise of saving you so that then you can love others because you have been loved. You don't have to love others in order for God to love you. No, if you're in Christ, you love others because you have already been loved even though you are a command breaker. You get to love God. Love people. <laughs> And help others do the same because you are a friend of God. And the friends of God always enjoy the experience of God fulfilling His promises so much more than anybody else in the world. And it ought to show in everyday life. If you're not trusting God at His word, if you're not looking at all the experiences in your life through the lens that God is faithful, if God is doing some things in your life and you're saying, God, I'm not going to follow you unless you do this, then please recognize there is honor forfeited. And you can come back to Christ and say, you know what? You've already shown me. In who you are and what you've done for me, I can trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm just going to immediately and totally believe and follow you. And you know what you'll find? You'll find the forgiveness and the redemption of God. And you'll find the restoration of friendship with Jesus and it'll change the way you live every single day of your life. Because here's the bottom line. Friendship with God is the most significant experience you will ever have in your life.
Don't forfeit that honor for one second. Run to Christ. He's already run to you. Let's pray together.